Jeremy, we're back with Linda Flanagan. Aren't you excited? Welcome back. Post-production, day two. Uh, she's just a gem. Again, I know you mentioned it last week, but we could probably have 10 more episodes with Linda. And I think we should, you know, maybe pencil her in for that. But this is such a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that you all stayed with us. This, I think we pivoted to a really, um, a really nice transition into. So now we have all the background information about <laughs> why the situation has gotten in, in youth sports has gotten where it, where it is now. What do we do with that information? How do we, you know, what does that mean to the to the parent, to the kid, and and moving forward? How can we maybe change it so that the next generation doesn't make all the same mistakes that we did? Right? Yeah, totally. I since we've recorded, I feel like I have really started to even notice more things in my life that yeah. that stand out from this area, and that we've talked about how parents just lose perspective when you're in it and that's also group think right because the everybody around you is doing it so you just yeah. like completely lose we were at my daughter's five-year-old basketball and we were walking out and i noticed that there was a boy uh changing out of his basketball clothes into soccer clothes oh six goodness year, gracious poor child probably six six years old and Put it's some like jam jams on that kid yeah i was just it, again it's just things that stand out now that i, I see know. it and, and and it's just anyways i can't wait to hear what linda has to say let's talk some more part two Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. I want to take uh, take our conversation maybe into two areas that that are sure. very pertinent to both our podcast and, and our our professional lives. Julie, I think we should talk a little bit about injuries. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we should also talk about mental health for obvious reasons. So maybe we can start with, you know, this, this phenomenon with, with where youth sports is today and kind of how it's affected injuries, maybe anecdotally from what you remember, Linda, like wh wh what do you remember researching and hearing in, as far as this was affecting injuries in youth athletes? Uh, well, I mean, you know more than I, but I can tell you that my research said that overuse injuries are, you know, what most doctors, several doctors have called an epidemic mm -hmm. that half of all youth sports injuries um, are overuse, which means they're entirely preventable. Um, mm -hmm. There's just been such an increase in those. And as, as along with those, which are not great, but they're not catastrophic. Also this giant increase in the number of what, what, uh, what I would call catastrophic injury, like an ACL tear, um, you know, one example I saw in in Boston, the the there was 500 reported cases uh, of surgeries reported in Boston in 2004, and in 2014 there were 2,500, mm -hmm. and that was you know eight years ago. So the the number of these kinds of injuries is growing. I hear about it all the time. Um, among it's usually. It seems the most common ones I hear are like seventh and eighth grade lacrosse, mm -hmm. female lacrosse players. Mm -hmm. and, um, and of course, concussions. But, um, you know, in running, there aren't as many concussions. But um, with lacrosse or with, with the ACL tears, what makes them so terrible, mm -hmm. and you both know this, is that, you know, in 10 years, some of those kids uh, are going to have arthritis. And they're mm -hmm. going to be hobbling up and downstairs. So, I mean, think about mm -hmm. these seventh grade girls. 
mm-hmm. when they're in their early 20s, they're going to be limping up the stairs. Um, and that, I think that is like a really under underappreciated fact that mm-hmm. this is something really to avoid. You really mm-hmm. don't want to be uh, tearing your ACL when you're 12 years old. Um, yeah. Or ever. Or ever. Right. Uh, it, it's been normalized, right, Linda? Like, yeah. I think that the, the, there's two injuries that come to mind that have just been completely normalized. And an ACL tear is one and the ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow for pitchers is the other one. Mm-hmm. Where yep. Basically, it's like you hear about it so often and you see it so often and people can come back from the surgery and get back to their sport and perform at a high level that it has become to the point where we're desensitized to the fact that that is a major injury that has long term mm-hmm. complications for people mm-hmm. and that your right. joint, your joint will never be the same. Yeah. And right. so even though you can come back and even though you can play the sport you have just changed your orthopedic life forever yes and so should you not play sports so you can avoid acl tears no you can get one going down the stairs mm-hmm. like we should be afraid of playing yes. but the fact that it is going up so much and we know that there's all these risk factors that we see on a daily basis that can prevent these things mm-hmm. is just it, it 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 people come in they hear an acl tear and they're just like okay so nine to 12 months i'll be back things will be fine and you're like <sighs> I know. I, I, I know. guess so. Well, and they also have a, a giant um, emotional effect on kids. You know, mm-hmm. at least in the, in yes. what I've seen is it's it's devastating. If you've spent most of your young life, you know, playing this one sport and it's mm-hmm. it's everything to you. And then you, you're on the shelf for eight to ten months and you're separated from your teammates and you're getting PT all the time and you're limping mm-hmm. around. And we also know eating disorders are a very big problem for, you know, for women athletes and men athletes too, but obviously it's mm-hmm. more with women. Um, those are more apt to be a problem when, when people tear their ACLs and they're unable to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, it, it has struck me that an ACL tear is really terrible and mm-hmm. it should be, it shouldn't be normalized. Yeah. And I think we have such a hard time understanding what are, what are really great prevention strategies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it reminds me of a conversation that we had with our sports performance athletic trainers that we work with on the podcast who are excellent. And really just talking about early specialization in sport, like one thing that Dave and Pat said, they were like, a lot of these kids like just aren't all around have good athleticism anymore. Mm-hmm. Like not, I mean, not to be like the kids are all yeah. out of shape. Like that's not the point, but it's like, if all they're ever taught is how to yeah. use their shoulder and arm to throw something or to, you know, X, Y, Z, because they, they're so hyper-specialized in where in their position and their team or whatever their, you know, their events are, whatever their, their sport is, maybe you don't, you never really um, spend as much time as what may be necessary to really build your neuromuscular stability so that your brain tells your muscles to turn on the right ways mm-hmm. so that these these non-contact injuries keep happening. Yeah. And, it, and I agree. And, and it's it, what stinks is that there's not one program to say like, OK, well, if we just implement this for every single soccer team, we're going to see this huge decrease in these major catastrophic injuries and i think we do see some decreases but we're not seeing you know yeah. eradication yeah you know and i i get you it's hard it's 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 much it's i think we want to slap a thing of say okay well, let, let's do this program we'll we'll make the coach you know run their their athletes yeah. through this thing for six weeks and then we'll, we'll we have carte blanche and we can do whatever we want and it, i just don't think it's that simple of a solution and it really yeah. is more of just looking at it kind of seeing the forest through the trees yes i mean i as far as i can tell there is no um you know, you could do certain, you know, strength training exercises and all that, but 
there's a limit to how much you could do. It's, it's, it's a, sure. it would seem that the specializing in playing one sport or playing the same sport mm-hmm. over and over from a young age is just not good for kids, not good for their right. bodies and we should stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been having conferences on that for years. Um, I mean, literally there's conferences called sports specialization and we go and we spend days talking about how all of us have waiting lists of kids coming in with injuries that we used to only see in adults. And it's Mm -hmm. all happening because they're starting earlier and earlier and earlier. This is not new science. It's just another example of the medical field not being able to meet the public where they are in a way that Mm -hmm. is approachable and um, feels like a friend instead of talking down to and all of the Mm -hmm. things that we struggle with with our communication strategies in public health. That's what I wanted to ask you all. Like, so why has, in your opinions, why are parents not or why has the message not permeated? You know, why has it not changed the way we're doing things among, you know, why adults aren't adapting to this is it because they don't know they don't appreciate it they're not really listening are you delivering the message wrong or what do you think is getting in the way of that i feel like there's so many answers to that question yeah um, and and i think that that my own personal opinion is it's a combination of everything you wrote in your book in addition to a lot of things that we see from the medical side of things in the sense of like there's a lot of when you're in the moment the perspective changes right it's much easier to have the perspective of somebody else's uh Mm -hmm. kid or family and be like wow they're doing crazy stuff and they shouldn't be doing that versus when you're in the midst of it Um, and, and so i i think that that gets lost on a lot of people I also think the normalization of it that we just talked about in the sense of like injuries happen and there's nothing we can do to necessarily prevent it. And also what's the goal? We're trying to get college scholarships and I need to be achieving and, and mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, you know, there's a there I think from a one of the things and the reason we started this podcast is it was really accentuated during the pandemic mm-hmm. with the inability of medical professionals and scientists to be able to regularly communicate with the general public in a way that felt like you could have an approachable conversation and not just feel dumb for asking questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think there were a lot of people who generally were confused through the pandemic of like what they should be doing, Mm -hmm. but felt like if they asked a question, they would be ridiculed or chastised or put off to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes for a lot of things. I think there's a lot of people who generally have questions about how do I prevent injury in my kid? How do I let them play sports and they're really good at it and I want them to be able to, but I also don't want to have any of these things you've talked about, but I also don't know how to do any of this, but I'm also afraid to ask yeah. because mm-hmm. I, and, and I also don't know who to ask. Yeah, and if I right. go and ask the, the, the medical professional, the one other thing I will say is that um, there was an awesome New York Times article recently on physician burnout. And, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to emphasize physician burnout here, but the, the thing that I thought was really well emphasized in there is that one of the number one reasons for physician burnout was a disconnect between what the physician felt like they should be doing and wanted to do and what they were incentivized to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we are a reactionary society in which medical professionals, generally speaking, are only reimbursed or, mm-hmm. frankly, the, the patient is only willing to come in and pay a copay when something already has happened. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily to say, how do I make it better. Yeah. And so, yes. And prevention is not reimbursable in any form or fashion. (laughs) And and maybe even more importantly, it's probably, it's not very measurable. Yeah. We, we, we learned that through the pandemic too. public health professionals. Basically it's like they were damned if they did and damned if they didn't, if they, if they prevented problems by putting out good policy, people said they overreacted because nothing happened. 
Right. So if you prevent the problem, you overreacted. Yes. But if you don't right. prevent the problem, well, then you didn't do your job. Right. Right. So right. Pre pre prevention is very, 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 very difficult. There's a phrase that I use with all of my athletes. I've never met an over or excuse me, an under-trained athlete. I have only met an under-recovered athlete. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about things like ACL tears and these and ulnar collateral ligament tears and any type of other injury tears, the one thing you can do that has been shown to prevent these injuries is recover appropriately. And that means mm -hmm. not doing six games in one day and then waking up and doing four more the next day. It means not doing like six sports in one day. And, and these are complete hyperbole, I understand. Mm -hmm. them. But the point is, is like most of these injuries occur with fatigue associated and we can't measure fatigue mm -hmm. at the time of mm -hmm. we don't have a sensor in your body to show you your fatigue mm -hmm. but we do have the ability to know that most of the time the person who tore their acl without trauma like when they went and made a cut had fatigue from playing for a while or mm -hmm. had been playing like crazy and just didn't have the endurance to make that cut the way they used to a hundred mm -hmm. times before mm -hmm. yeah because who they're comparing themselves to is the story are, are these these complete outliers of like well michael jordan played in the 90s in the nba championships and he had the flu and it's like that's <laughs> bullshit his fucking doctor shouldn't have let him play. But of course, I mean, like, of course. And, it, and it's an amazing story that only one person on the planet yeah. would have been able to do and not get injured or not die. Or yes. not, you know, like, right. So, like, that's not normal. I know, right. That is weird. Yeah. It is weird. It is a results not typical situation. So don't hold up these these unbelievable stories as what's normal. Yeah. It's not normal. Yeah. What's normal is that you're going to get hurt again. Yes. You're going to get hurt worse in a different way that sucks more and it's going to last forever. Yeah, and right. You know, right. and it's, yeah. it's hard to not to take that like, well, uh, but I, maybe I could do that. Yeah. One, one person did that. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. And it's, it it sets it's, up a survival of, yeah. it's it sets up a survival of the fittest yeah. um situation mm -hmm. that has been seen actually in certain sports for a long time actually Japanese baseball is is notorious for a survival of the fittest they they throw mm. a lot of pitches and then when they finish throwing they actually pitch more they throw more <laughs> pitches than anybody like we have pitch counts yeah. here and we mm -hmm. think it's the right thing to do and japan generally speaking as a broad generalization japanese baseball believes the opposite they believe mm. you should be throwing like crazy and, the, and and there's a lot of theories around like who's doing it right but the concept with them a lot of times you see is that that the vast majority of time by the time somebody's 20 years old and is really 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 good there's been at least you know, hundreds of others that basically blew out their arm at 14 and just aren't there. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> basically, basically what you found was yeah. the 20 year old who wasn't going to blow out their arm. Yes. And so the same thing occurs here where you're basically like we have these awesome stories of this 19 year old who's just amazing and doesn't have any injuries and is the best athlete. But there's uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories of kids who are probably just as talented, if not more talented mm -hmm. than that athlete who just didn't make it yep. because of right. overuse injuries. And so they all sprinted we, the whole time. Yeah. yeah. All, all we did was find the best genetic. Yes. in that one person yeah that got, no, i that, totally that, agree with that i mean you you only see this you know those giant those you know larger than life success stories superhuman folks yeah, yeah. it's all you know the, the the thousands who were you know left on the sidelines who got injured who, you know i think about those who didn't make the olympic team you know sure. all of those people who gave up so much we don't see them we only mm -hmm. see the ones who reach the top and yeah. that's distorting again. It's yeah. distorting. And, you know, talking about fatigue for a minute, um, I was one another surprising bit of research I found, and you, I'm sure you all know this, that um, at the Division One level, these the athletes um, get an average of six hours and fifteen minutes of sleep a night, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and spend 
I think there, although there may be an NCAA cap on how many hours they're allowed to practice, they admit to practicing 33 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just from the goal study. I'm sure you've seen that goal study mm-hmm. that comes out every few years. And, yeah. you know, so they're and spend 35, an average of 35 hours a week on their school, their class and studies. Mm-hmm. So, okay. When you think about that schedule, like who right. could not be, who among those kids Fatigued. is not absolutely exhausted all yeah. the time? And, you know, you have two full time jobs. Two full-time yeah. And then jobs, you're also you're in sleep a- deprived. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, yeah. it just seems unsustainable, you know? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, right now, uh, one of our fellows is is dabbling in doing a study about, you know, s- sleep uh, patterns and NCAA athletes. And I'm very curious to see what his results come up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. We know this. We know this. And it it leads, to, I mean, that it will lead to more and more and more injury. And mental yeah. health, as we were discussing, you know, we, 100%. we didn't talk too much about mental health, but that's, I, I think, the sleep deprivation and physical mm-hmm. exhaustion. Well, it's kind of how cults behave, is it not? Yeah, you know, you, you you indoctrinate people, you don't let them recover, you don't let them sleep, you you only really interact with each other. Like, is yes. this not a cult of sport? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, very good way to put it. Yeah. Not to get too weird about it, but it's it has created, I mean, again, like just talking about these distortions and these extremes yes. of, uh, 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 of, 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 of how we're behaving. And it does seem very culty. It does. A little bit of a, you're in a cult, call your dad. Well, and the cult leader could be the coach because, you know, Mm -hmm. they spend these kids, I've just read somewhere that kids spend an average of 326 hours. But this, my math could be way off, but that was the number. 326 (laughs) hours. We won't hold you to it. It's fine. (laughs) uh, With their coach or coaching staff Mm. per season, which is more than they do Mm -hmm. with teachers of any kind. Mm -hmm. And most likely their parents. I always felt that way as a coach. Like, I see these kids more than their parents do. Um, You know, exhaustion, you know, all these factors. He does give the coach kind of an outsized influence. Agreed. And we've learned that those coaches over the past decade, uh, um, maybe shouldn't be given that much autonomy and influence over our children, at least who we're putting mm-hmm. in these positions. Yes. Yep. I mean, I mean, we should be doing a better job with that, you know? Yeah. And it's something I found very, um, I mean, I identify in the book, I describe them as paradoxes, but it is such a paradox that we care so much about sports. They're so essential to our society and how, you know, how our status is measured by how athletic our kids are and it's just mm-hmm. so celebrated but we don't do a good job with them educating coaches training them picking the right people mm-hmm. it's 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 strange it is strange yeah. talk about the positive coaching alliance and maybe like programs yes. like it and like are there programs like this across the country like how do we how do we lift these things up yeah great segue jeremy was a Thanks. good segue not, <laughs> n- not not my first podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Jeremy. <laughs> well, you know, PCA was begun, oh, when was it begun? A few decades ago by a man named Jim Thompson in California. And the whole idea of it is that um, this organization would provide training sessions to coaches and train them in little various segments, various sessions, I guess, better word on how to how to help kids manage mistakes how to um you know taught coaches how to talk to kids and 
Um, it was all based on the curriculum that Jim Thompson put together. And mm -hmm. since it began, it has spread out across the country. So, you know, there are little pockets of it and, it, you know, it costs something, you know, the schools and leagues, they have to pay, but then those uh, coaches, and they also have programs for uh, athletes as well to come and, and parents, but, you know, it's, it's been around a long time, uh, relatively, and there are others that are doing something similar. Actually, Positive Coaching Alliance just um, merged with another organization called Coaching Core. Yeah. And so now they're a, a bigger, stronger organization. And their mission is not only to train coaches in positive uh, motivation, but also mm -hmm. to find ways to reach kids who are left out of sports entirely because they can't mm -hmm. afford it. Um, you know, there are various groups. There's another one up to us and that started in New York. I think it's also around the um, national now that try to um, it, uh, leverage the coach's position to help um, mentor kids and bring them along. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, that's maybe a different slice of the issue. That's like, how can we help these kids develop and grow? Not necessarily through excellence in sports, but by being an, a positive adult in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one of your questions was, what are the factors leading to change? And, um, and so I was thinking about that in preparation for this. And I did come up with some and I thought, I just organize them differently, a little bit differently than I did in my book. And, and one is, and this is what you all are trying to do with your podcast and in your work, which is to increase parents' awareness and education on what's happening mm -hmm. in sports. You know, my book is the same. Like, what, what is the big picture here? What's going on? And, you know, what can we do to change it? And there are some, you know, little bright spots where people are doing things differently. And there's mm -hmm. a there's a person um, named Jason Targoff in Cambridge, Mass. He's like, I don't want my kids to do travel soccer. Like, uh, we're not we're too busy for this. We don't want to do this. So he started a um, a local program in Cambridge. Now Cambridge is a big city. It's really not a town. It's like you know, maybe a hundred thousand people in Cambridge. Yeah, and okay. um, he put created this kind of alternative to travel soccer for the community. And it's been very popular because other parents could see the benefits. It's any, you know, it's I think one of the biggest drawbacks or what reason parents don't like, or they feel like they have to do the travel soccer is because the rec programs aren't as competitive and the kids aren't, mm -hmm. you know, they want their kids to really excel. And mm -hmm. so he's, he's really stepped up the quality of the coaching at this uh, local level. And so mm -hmm. the games are local. There's practice once a week and there's one game a week. It's like they can get there without being, you know, mm -hmm. driven across state lines. So that's like one nice example when parents recognize that there are alternatives and they're willing to organize and do something. Mm -hmm. um, another, another avenue for change is by using the power of the permit. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this, but the idea that in cities and towns in order for anyone to use the town's facilities they need mm -hmm. a permit from the city government mm -hmm. the, it's for insurance purposes generally but the cities and towns can attach 
um, some criteria for those, you know, okay, yes, we'll give you a permit. You can use our facilities, but we need to see proof of coaching education. We're not going to let you just use our stuff because you have insurance. We need your coaches trained in CPR, first aid, you know, maybe some child development, some minimum mm -hmm. standards for coaches. So mm -hmm. that's another avenue that some, you know, people who realize there are ways to break through. Um, that's one way. There's a guy I write about in my book at the Cincinnati Recreation Commission who like, okay, we're going to do this. He insisted before the town city at Cincinnati gave out permits, they were going to require coaches in all these leagues to get minimal training. I mean, that's, there's like a little, what a bush call them a thousand points of light. There's a like little point, yeah. you know, um, I think athletic directors in schools can do more to like, because the problem with the sports is not just uh, all the injuries and overuse and all that, which we all know about. It's also the fact that, you know, low-income kids don't have these options anymore. They're not right, available. Right. So um, we need to get kids more active. They're, you know, they, we have such mm -hmm. an obesity problem. You know, I learned that 22% mm -hmm. of kids between the ages of 20 and 19 are obese, which is shocking. That came out in right. the pandemic. I think it went up three percentage points. That's, you know, it's a problem. So what are we going to do right. to get kids more active? All we have are these like intense sports on the one side and nothing else. Some athletic directors are, are rising to that challenge and um, getting more kids moving during the day. They're offering intramural sports. They're mm -hmm. offering club sports. They're um, being creative with um, using the gym space in the middle of the day, not just being mm -hmm. like old school. We have gym and, and varsity sports. They're being creative. Mm -hmm. And there's Ben, who I talk about in the book, Howard Putterman and um, Frederick, Maryland, too. He said, it, he said he made it his mission to never turn down a kid's request for a new club or team without studying mm -hmm. the problem first. And thought, like, that's the kind of mentality. Yeah. And I would also like to see athletic directors um, really insist, and I hope this scandal with the um, U.S. women's soccer team, you know, that we need to change the culture of just yelling and screaming and berating and humiliating kids just mm -hmm. from a very young age. And I would really like to see athletic directors enforce rules on that. They just mm -hmm. they don't have to tolerate that. I, I remember no. my, my niece was a very good high school basketball player. And it was stunning to me. I mean, it was, it's not atypical, but if you sat in stands and watched the shrieking and, you know, not just yelling like go, but... Mm -hmm anger directed at the kids from the parents mm -hmm. and also the coach like red face screaming at them yanking them off the court and i remember watching one day and the athletic directors just walking around like surveying the scene like you don't have to tolerate this it, it, it's that's another thing that's been normalized just as acl tears like totally ah, yeah totally. You know, oh well you're uh in your book, you, I think the, the person's last name was Steinberg. They used the, the, the exact quote, like it's become a cultural meme of yes. the times. Yes. It was and Lawrence I, it, Steinberg. Yep. 
said that. And I was like, it's so true because when you think about coaching, like if I searched coach in memes right now, I may see a hundred of the like yelling and throwing things come up. Exactly. You don't see like that somebody hugging somebody and helping them through. And like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and again, that's just tolerated. It's, it's abusive behavior. Yeah. It's abusive behavior. It's poor. I think it's poor modeling and it's showing the lack of emotional intelligence. Yes. And I think that's something we desperately need to be teaching each other right now. Yes. Is how to be resilient and how to, how to, maintain our emotional state i mean coming from someone who has sometimes very poor emotional intelligence and feels extremes of things i i mean and i'm 38 years old so i i need mean, good you know because otherwise and also you don't want it to look cool you yes. know or, or or to have that behavior be associated with well this coach is the winningest coach because they're mm-hmm. the biggest shithead yes, like i know like, exactly you you hate when you 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 love to see the 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 very supportive very even keeled, yes. very resilient coach, very good teacher, be the one that succeeds. And, yes. um, and it is great to see that. in I mean, like, you know, to see that in our communities. And I feel like it would be great to uplift those people more and more yes. and more and to see those those folks. And, you know, not to get on my soapbox, but who are usually very emotional, intelligent human beings, but <laughs> if, if not, if not women. So, <laughs> yeah, no offense, yeah. Well, so you you put out a uh, you put out an example that that really like stuck with me in this area of basically almost a situation when, in which there aren't coaches, not necessarily mm-hmm. that they don't exist, but like because mm-hmm. instruction and stuff is helpful. But the concept of like the pickup game and like the mm-hmm. regular pickup game. So what I mean by that is, you know, rather than having a set schedule with a set team, with a set uniform, with like set tryouts, mm-hmm. instead, mm-hmm. the same group of 20 to 30 kids show up the same time every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And let's just use soccer as the example. They pick teams every Saturday. So every Saturday you're on different teams and the goal is just to like play and you can have coaching. Mm-hmm. You can try to get better, mm-hmm. but, but it loses the whole, like I'm with them and you're with them. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. my team's better than your team mm-hmm. and like individual successes. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. because you know, you could be on the other team at some point yes. and you may be playing with it. And it also makes the teams more even, right? Yeah. Instead of yeah. having this one team that gets all of the good players onto it because they have the reputation who then goes and beats up on all the other teams who aren't mm-hmm. as good. Mm-hmm. And then neither team has fun, right? The team that's winning 30 to nothing is not having right. fun yes. and the team no. losing 30 to nothing certainly doesn't want to show up and play that team yeah, anymore and right. so you put out this image and i thought about it and i was like oh my gosh that is just that mm-hmm. is a beautiful scene that just does not exist mm-hmm. anymore right because we're all in uniforms and we all have to identify and it also costs us like thousands of dollars mm-hmm. when in reality mm-hmm. the field is right down the street and we could all just show up and play and and yeah. um, i just thought that that was so so I don't know, like maybe it's a utopia at this point. But <laughs> I was going to say, let's this utopia yeah. where all the kids. <laughs> well, think about it. It reminds me of we, we take care of professional baseball players. I'm sure this happens. I mean, in basketball everywhere, too. But it just makes it so funny when you have somebody that that like was your star player and you love them. And all of a sudden the next season they're playing for your rivals. <laughs> how dysregulating that might be. But how but again, the resilience that it shows in that athlete and how cool it would be to be like, yeah, OK, I'm on this wild cats this year. And then next week I'm on yes, that wild. Yes. Cats, and that's right, great. Right. You know? Yeah. I think what you're talking about is um, I think I was I pulled that story from um, conversation with Richard Weisbord, who wrote this book. He's involved in this group. I think he runs it called Making Caring Common. And he's written a lot about youth mm. sports, too. He's at Harvard. And he wrote about one of the the great values of sports for kids when it's self-directed is that they um they figure out that they learn um okay let me find it in my book here you go 
You found it? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but then you got to write you did the work for. Somewhere with all my little yeah. posties. Hold on, yeah, you hold do. on. See, I wish I had a photographic memory. Okay. She's made her own glossary, folks. This is great. No, sorry. No, I love it. I, I like I like seeing the inner workings of how the author oh. peruses her well, own her own content. Oh well, this guy he's so great, Richard Weisbord. He's really good, you know, about what we learn through sports, and you know, this idea that sports reflect um, reveal character. He's like, no, not reveal character. They, in one particular example, maybe they do, but it's not necessarily so that the kid who's like, um, you know, can hit the ball at when at the bottom of the ninth and they're, you know, two outs, two strikes, bases loaded. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that kid's going to be great in other contexts, but not necessarily. I mean, it, it, there's right. just really no evidence of that. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is foolish. I can't find it. So we'll just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> See, and, Linda's and, showing a port resilience right now, just understanding that, is, that I'm not going to win this round. Just move along. That's that's our podcast in a nutshell, right there. Yes. Listen, listen, I, I I think we we could go on forever. I literally I, I we, that that we could do six more podcasts on this because sure. I have so much more stuff written down. I want to I, I want to wrap up. I want to get into uh, our rapid fire to ask you some fun questions. Although, uh, Julie, I was recently listening to one of my favorite podcasters and people in general, Brené Brown. Oh, um, and I realized that her podcast clearly does a rapid fire. And I'm wondering if I like copyrighted stole that from her. I'm <laughs> sure she's not going to. I, I'm I don't sure know. Renee Brown yeah, is not going to yeah. send out her. Legal, I'm not sure. It's, uh, uh, I, I must have been subconscious because I don't physically remember doing that. But but and I also I guarantee. Yeah, we're, we'll just change the name Brene if you're listening. And if you're listening, also just let us know. I'd love to know if you're listening. Um, <laughs> so. Um, so, but I, I think there's a, 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 um, a passage in your book at the end of a chapter that I think sums up this whole conversation really, really well that I want to read. And I think it'll wrap it up nicely. And it says, to the extent that there's consensus on sports contribution to character, then it appears to be this. What kids glean from athletics depends entirely on a shifting and tangled array of variables. Community values, parental attitudes towards sports, the coach's manner and methods, the child's own temperament and training, and countless other intangible determine what kids learn from athletics sports themselves are empty vessels imbued with the meanings we attach to them mm -hmm. i just love that i love that thank right you thank because you. just just briefly reading that really summarizes everything we're talking about here in that sports themselves are not the answer for things mm -hmm. sports are what we make of them and currently what we are making of them is not healthy for our children or for us mm -hmm. or for anybody mm -hmm. and we need to make some changes yes absolutely well and i i think that you know many parents and people in general have this idea that sports are you know just inherently good and that kids just pick up only wonderful lessons from them and that you know they're they're actually they're they're an empty vessel. They're just what we make of them. Mm -hmm. And they can be, mm -hmm. they can be wonderful. You know, I'm sure you learned wonderful things playing baseball growing up. And I feel like I've grown so much from my athletic experience, but it's not automatic. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, by definition, it's, um, it's entirely dependent on the context. And if, if yeah, we don't make that context healthy, it's not going to be. 
Yeah, totally. Agreed. I think the danger, and even reading your book, I could feel it in myself, the danger with everything, and even as medical professionals, is that we can't come off too negative here. Yeah. Because again, we lose people when we're like, it's all bad. And they're like, what do you no. mean it's all bad? Sports are great. And the same yes. thing with like medical stuff. It's like, it, 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 we can't just talk down to you for what you're not doing. We have to meet you where you are. <laughs> yeah. And there are so many positives in sports. And that's why oh this is such a big topic, right? Yes. Because we all love that. We all love them so much. <laughs> it's just that they can be better and yes. we can do it yep. better for the, for the youth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into some rapid fire. We, we usually like to ask some quick questions to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So um, I'm going to go first. I want to know, um, like, what was the worst thing about writing a book? Where do I begin? Right? Uh, <laughs> I, got anxiety, I got anxiety reading your book, thinking about trying to write my own book. Oh, God. And I, I just the whole time I thought to myself, this has to be so terrible. I feel but like, like it would such... just be starting, like looking at the cursor <laughs> blinking on the page. Uh, no, the, actually, the hardest part was editing it, revising it, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'd written the whole thing. It was too long. But, you know, I'm like, OK, fine, I'll cut it. It was this mm-hmm. order I like, tidied up, pretty neat, delivered it to my editor. And then she wrote me and said, Linda, your, your book is great. It's I, I love the stories, the research. Great. You know, good job. I'm like, whew, next paragraph. Now, let's yeah. start <laughs> over. You know, no, in fact, and- now let's change it all up. So I had yeah. to like move sections here, Mm-mm. there, the whole table of contents, everything changed. And I had like two and a half months. That oh, was the hard because you get set and you think a certain way. And then. Yeah. Had to like, yeah, take down those barriers and move things around. So it was that revising was by far the least pleasant. Part. I can't even. I can't even imagine. Those are like your thought babies. It's yes. like I can't just get rid of. I can't kill them. Yeah. I love them. You know. <laughs> but then, but then, if you have a really great editor yes. or someone that helps you with it, and and they show you what it looks like when it's pared down. I mean, Jeremy will attest that I am often tangential and often hyperverbal, and so. <laughs> even just having Jeremy take a pass at an email be like okay you can get rid of this entire paragraph and and I love him to death for it because sometimes it is very difficult to let go of what seems really really influential and important but if you if you trim it out or rearrange it then you're like oh that was better yes I I trusted my editor I mean she has more experience on that like I had to say okay I'm gonna trust you and go with you on this and yeah and generally less is less is better because most Agreed. people don't read anyway, have, so you know we all have short attention spans. Tome of nonfiction, they're going to be yeah. like, "No thanks." So we can barely. I can barely handle a three-minute TikTok. Yeah. I can do <laughs> fifteen-second reels. Like it's true. You got to play. You got to. You got to play to your audience a little bit. But it is hard, especially not to take that. I'm sure not to take that personally. You yeah. know, of like this is my soul that I'm putting into this work and. And, our, you know, like to not be, I don't know, a little pissed off when someone says, well, this whole thing can go. It, it doesn't yeah. matter. And it's like, yeah. it matters to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, well, I have learned over the years that you need your editor. So and thank yeah. God, because she was right. She was absolutely right. Great. Well, good. I'm glad you made that partnership. And <laughs> that, that's wonderful. Um, I'm curious to know if you if you have and if you don't, that's fine. A favorite coach, not even necessarily someone that coached you, but a coach that you've worked with or a coach that worked with your children or that you've interacted with over the years. Do you have somebody that stand that really stood out to be like, man, that person was really seemed to do it right or had a positive impact in a way um, that uh, was extraordinary? Well, actually, yes. And it's it's my softball coach from high school who I write about a little bit in my book. And Mm -hmm. she was what I really was struck by with her was how much she loved softball 
It was, she mm-hmm. loved it. She played it herself. Like she mm-hmm. lived it, you know, like she was a great mo- um, model for me as a coach because mm-hmm. what I got from her was, you know, you gotta, you gotta walk, walk the talk. You can't just sit. And mm-hmm. obviously that was true for me. Like, but, cause I was, a, I'm a runner. So I would run with the mm-hmm. team and all this, but the teams I coached, but I, mm-hmm. what I got from her was that you really have to care and you have to know the sport yourself and, um, mm-hmm. and really dedicate yourself to it. I mean, we mm-hmm. didn't have as much success as we should have, but she was a real role model for me. That's wonderful. I love hearing those stories. I don't know. I just it's so fun to see how people get shaped by those, you know, that, that taught them. Uh, it's yeah. really, really rad. Yeah. As, as a runner, um, do you have, um, it, it can be either obviously like a race or a location, but like a bucket list place you would like to run? It's <laughs> a good one. I can honestly say I don't. I really don't. I've run in so mm. many places. You know, I've run mm-hmm. all over the place. I, I have a friend of mine did the, um, that race across Africa, well, not across Africa. It's like in the, one of the deserts there. It's like, wow. damn, it's some kind of like nightmarish kind of thing where you run like 72 <laughs> hours or something and no. sounds terrible yes there's a name for it and but it's one of those like you kind of become you get close to death so it makes you re- rethink your life yeah. or something sure um but i honestly can't like i've run in some incredibly cool places all right what's a that's favorite great. what's a favorite place you have run okay well i ran in a that's a good pivot there thanks podcaster mm-hmm. not, my, not my first podcast <laughs> professional folks great i think it's my 20 i think it's my 22nd podcast oh, that's pretty we're getting, good we're, we're getting there um well this past just this past year my son was in uh, south africa training oh, well wow. um not running training doing some conservation work and i went to mm. visit him and we went to a we stayed at a, a lodge in south Af- in south africa and it was in an animal park so we mm. went running together and that we ran by zebra and giraffes oh, wow. and oh. monkeys. It was the coolest That's thing. That's great. That is amazing. I mean, that was unreal. I took pictures. I'm like, oh my God. It was very cool. Yeah. How could you how could you pay attention yeah. when there's a giraffe? Yeah, it was <laughs> unreal. Bizarre. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So let's, Linda, where where can people find more about you in the book and where can they pick it up? Where can they get access to things? advertise yourself um, okay well my book is available any place that books are sold in theory <laughs> uh, you can always get it on amazon um i i have a website and a new website linda flanagan author at linda flanagan author is my website okay and awesome. um linda at linda flanagan too is my twitter and i'm on linkedin Great. and all and that so at linda flanagan two the number two not twl got it um, we are um, super honored to have you on the podcast. Yeah. This was a really engaging conversation. And and frankly, I think if we can get more people from different avenues, so we're physicians, you have your background in your different things. And again, if we can get coaches, if we can get parents, if we can get people in the like kinesio world, if we can get people who do the sports business side of things to all come together mm-hmm. and create like positive mm-hmm. goals and outcomes for this type of world, I really do think that we can, can make this better mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Yeah. To, i think to wrap the whole thing up i will say to the effect of you sports are for the kids and we can do better for them ask your doctor friends <laughs> that about sums it up great job everybody yeah <laughs> 
The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.